A storm had come to Sandover village. It hadn't hit yet, but everyone could feel it was coming. The bird watcher and farmer claimed they could feel a storm coming in their bones, an old superstition. The birds that congregated around the watchtower of Samos's hut evidently felt it too, as they were nowhere to be seen, nestled within the hut's rafters when the storm was only a shadow on the horizon. The sun sets, windows close, fires light, the breeze gathers force, and come nights falling, the village was pounded with torrential wind and rain. Sitting snugly by the fire of his uncle's hut sat young Jack and his closest friend, Daxter. As they both gazed out the window, Daxter turned to Jack mischievously, his grin punctuated by a lightning strike. You know what I think? He said, looking at Jack, though directing it at Jack's uncle. I think this calls for a spooky story. He picked up an antique mask from a nearby trophy mount and held it to his face for dramatic effect. Wouldn't you say, old timer? Bombastically wiggling his fingers, as if he were a spirit there to claim the explorer's soul. The explorer regarded him with wry amusement. Experienced I am, but old I am most certainly not, he stated haughtily. And yes, I certainly have an uncanny tale or two. Some suited to stormy nights more than others. He stoked the fire thoughtfully, and his usual jolly and regal composure seems to all but disappear in moments. His eyes glaze over, his pupils filled with the flames of the fireplace, as an uncharacteristic sternness falls across his features. As a matter of fact, he lets the words hang seemingly for dramatic effect, but the boys can detect no playfulness in the weight of his paws. The tale I have in mind takes place on a night exactly like this one. The mix of rain and heat that sticks to your skin, the kind of humidity that makes you feel like you'll never be dry again, the kind of heat that a man never forgets. He turned to the boys, and noticed them both entranced by his sudden change of character. The amusement did little to lift his sombre tone. The boys listened eagerly, hanging on his every word. They could not recall ever seeing the explorer like this before. It began with a rumour. Myself and two other intrepid gentlemen had gotten wind that some peat harvesters had come back to Rock Village from Boggy Swamp raving incessantly about priceless artefacts they had found deep in the swamp. We assumed that they were precursor in origin, but half mad they were, stumbled into the Rock Village Plaza having ran across the pontoons without even pausing for breath. We had all heard them before we saw them. They rambled something about people in the swamp, some sort of cult that worshipped an idol that wasn't precursor in origin, that even the lurkers seemed to avoid it out of some sort of instinctual fear. He shivered suddenly. Lurkers were notorious for looting anything that they came across, vandalising everything else. The notion that they actively avoided something old that wasn't a precursor object filled the boys with curiosity and dread. Well, if that didn't stoke the fire of adventure in our hearts then, the explorer gives a hollow chuckle. <laughs> Such naivety. He draws a breath before continuing. We gathered our things and set off. The swamp is an unpleasant place any day. I was no stranger to its brackish waters, but some unseen presence had made itself felt there. The wildlife was more hostile, becoming eager to attack whatever it saw rather than defending their territory only. Bats, 
Rats and frogs all seemed to attack with a desperate aggression, as if they were lashing out of pure instinct. I'd wager we'd have met our end long before we reached our goal, were it not for the burly bodyguard we had hired. He wasn't much for brains, but I'd wager he could take on just about any lurker barehanded, save for the mountain giants from the northern forests. On we pressed, through thorny vines and molten tar. After about two laborious hours, as the warrior cut his way through a particularly dense vine patch with his gladius, we heard them. Strange, feverish chanting could be heard beneath the pattering of rain. In the distance we could see the glow of torchlight. Cautiously, we edged closer. The sight before us was so bizarre, so wrong, that I'll never forget the like. People dressed in scarce rags and strange masks, with totems made from the bones of lurkers and humans both, danced madly around an old idol standing sinisterly at the centre of the mass. Some people I recognised from Rock Village. Fishermen, builders, fine, upstanding people of wholesome stock, now reduced to lunatics before our very eyes. They were singing and screeching in a language I do not recognise. He turned to the boys. And I have heard many dialects in my time, as I'm sure you already know. He added emphatically. What did the idol look like? Daxter asked impatiently though his usual boisterousness was replaced with an audible tinge of fear in his voice. It was an infernal thing, not entirely unlike the idols and oracles you've seen dotted about, but much more sinister. It seemed to be made of a strange black material. Looking at it from one angle, it was purple-tinged metal, not unlike Precursor Alloy, but when viewed from another angle, it seemed to be an opaque reddish glass. Even the symmetry was wrong. I could not for the life of me decide if it was standing upright or standing at an angle, on its side even. To look at it hurt our eyes. One thing we are certain of is that it was looking back at us. Jack noticed that the explorer seemed less comfortable in his chair now. His fists clenched and his muscles tensed, as if he was in preparation to fight or to run. We were too entranced by the object, you see, too distracted by what our minds were trying to understand. We were only dimly aware that the dancers had stopped. Silhouetted by the light of their torches, they had all turned to us and began to move our way. We intended to run, but when we turned, the way we had came had somehow, impossibly, been replaced with an impenetrable wall of thorns and vines, thicker than before and clawing for us slowly with malign intelligence. The people too had changed. There was a purple light in their eyes that shone beneath their bizarre masks, their limbs contorted and lengthened, transforming into foul claws and snapping mouths, black ooze and purple spines dotting their chitinous carapaces. We thought we would have to fight, and possibly die. The warrior's presence was a great reassurance. He stood before us, gladius and shield poised as sure as he was about to scrap with a simple lurker, less his resolve. But I did not fancy our chances when the very swamp itself seemed to be our enemy. That is when the apparent leader of the madmen exploded in a plume of ash and bone shards. Bolts of golden light lanced from the darkness, striking down the monsters left, right and centre. We could only watch as they attempted to retreat, as each one was blasted into the mud with pinpoint accuracy, until all were slain.
The explorer turns to the boys, smiling now. We waited to see our saviour as they stepped from the shadows. We had heard him first. Hooey, some good hunting tonight. The sage of yellow eco steps from the tree line, the barrel of his gun still steaming from the heat of his shots, the explorer said. Nothing like a mutant barbecue, am I right? He turns to the party, his tone dropping all bombast, replaced with a genuine sense of care. You fellas alright? We nodded appreciatively, thanking the sage profusely for his intervention. We asked him just who these people were and what the idol was. The sage regards the idol with a venomous glare before turning back to the men. Fellas, there's things in this here swamp, heck, in this whole world, that are just as old as the precursors. Dark things that are best left well alone, you understand? Y'all are lucky I was here. I'm moving my lab to those big towers in the north. Got a little project going on there. Call this little event, he pauses to kick a smoking corpse, a little loose end of mine. What of this foul thing? Asked the warrior earnestly. I'm going to get you all out of this swamp first. Then me and the other sages will bump heads together and decide what to do with this eyesore. But as of tonight, don't concern yourselves no more. And please, he adds with genuine concern, don't come looking for anything like this ever again. After that, continued the explorer, we continued out of the swamp. The fire of the yellow sage's eco-gun, burning away the evil plants that had barred our way before. We returned safely to Rock Village. Is that the end? Did you ever see the idol again? Asked Daxter impatiently. Jack nodded silently, echoing Daxter's inquiry wordlessly. Not fully. The explorer looked into the fire before continuing. The morning after, one of the men divulged that he had secreted away a small totem from one of the bodies. It was the same material as the idol. We lectured him viciously for it. He had always been the impulsive type, but this was simply foolish given what we had seen. He claimed he had already found a buyer from his network of connections, and that it would be gone by day's end. We washed our hands of the idiot. But, sure enough, come evening time, he found us at our table by the docks, and dropped a weighty bag of gems, precious metals, and a shipment manifesto of precursor orbs, to be split four ways. What happened to your friends? asked Jack meekly. He rarely spoke, but the curiosity was too much even for his silence. Last I heard, the man who sold the totem had spent his fortune almost as soon as he had got it. He could never hold on to wealth for long, always losing money on foolish bets and gambling, owing more than he can make. He furrows his brow in thought. As for the other man, his case is stranger. He could not stop speaking about the swamp and the idol in the weeks following the incident. Eventually, he simply packed and went back there on his own in the middle of the night. He sometimes stops at the village by boat now and then, but most of his time is spent high as a kite or drunk as a mule, often both. The swamp mushrooms, you see. Anyway, it is my belief that to this day, the idol holds sway over the poor man's mind, and he stays there in that damn place, searching for something. The explorer stands and looks out at the storm outside. We couldn't help but ask who had exchanged such wealth, but he had been sworn to secrecy. He never did divulge who the buyer was, as big-mouthed as he was, though I've had my suspicions. 
Who is it? Who is it? demanded Daxter. There is a man who, around the time of the totem's purchase, began to be seen less and less frequently in the villages of the land. A man of good standing, who would travel frequently, brilliant if not a little eccentric, and when he was seen, he seemed frail and sickly, not himself, and was reported to be somewhat paranoid and aggressive compared to his usual self. Rumours began to spread of strange lights being seen near his home, and that he wore a hood when travelling to conceal hideous fangs that were starting to grow from his jaw. That his older sister had undergone similar changes, but, impossibly, seemed to look younger with each passing day, younger even than he. What was his name? cried Daxter. His name is Gal Acheron. And I pray that you two never have the misfortune of meeting him.